everybody. Welcome to Spill the OT Podcast, episode 14. And today I'm very excited because I'm talking to an OT who works in the telehealth. And this is something that I've been seriously considering. I commute now about 50 minutes to work. And I know that's not terribly long, but if I could save myself, you know, 100 minutes, what's that? You know, an hour and a half of commuting time a day, that would just be a life changer. But I've had a lot of questions about it and I wanted to just be able to talk to somebody freely about it. So I'm feeling a little bit selfish because this podcast is for me as well as for you. So I wanted to get a lot of this information as well. Before we jump into that, I want to say a big thank you to the people who have rated and reviewed this podcast. Let's start with Megan Schneider. She wrote, I absolutely love this podcast. I will be graduating in May this year with my master's degree in OT. What tips did you have for deciding what setting to go into? I'm struggling with deciding which setting I would like to work in once I graduate because I have enjoyed all my fieldwork experiences and can't seem to pick just one. Thank you for sharing this podcast. It has helped me so much. Thank you, Megan. That's really, really nice. Um, also, thank you for asking my advice. That like means a lot to me. I would say when you're deciding what field you want to go in, it's like a very, very personal choice and you kind of have to prioritize what's the most important to you. I knew that I wanted to end up in the school system mainly for the schedule. So I knew that back when I was like 18, 19. But when I first started graduating, that wasn't the most important thing to me because I really needed to make money and make money fast. So for me, I started off doing travel therapy But the other jobs that I were looking at were at a skilled nursing facility because in a skilled nursing facility, you make more money. And I did look into home health as well because I had heard that you can make a little bit more money in home health. So for me back in 2012, that was what I wanted to focus my career path on. But well, I think we all do the best we can with the information we have at the time. And at that time, that's where my priorities were. Now, if I could go back and talk to my 22-year-old self, I would probably do things a little bit differently. For one thing, I would never do travel therapy as a new grad. I know that there are plenty of people who are out there and do that, which is great. But for me personally, it was not a great choice because I was thrown into situations that I didn't feel comfortable standing up for what I knew was ethical and right. And I think it helps to work in a place where you have a mentor originally when you first graduate so that you can kind of build your compass for what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. And you just get to build your confidence a little bit. So there's that. I also feel like as a new grad, you kind of have this liberty where you're going to get the most training and people kind of have the most patience, I guess, where they're going to try and help you and teach you everything and you only get to be a new grad once so it's not like you can be out in the field three years and say oh I'm a new grad I could really use some mentoring obviously you can still ask for a mentor but it's just kind of this new category where as a new grad people are just dying to help you and make sure that you feel like you're thriving and if you're not in the right job or environment then you kind of throw that chance away a little bit. Like I feel like I threw that chance away. I was sometimes the only OT in my building and I just didn't have that mentorship that I wish that I had. And I know for me, I really like the feeling of being independent. So I was excited to go out and work on my own and not really have close supervision. 
but in retrospect, I really wish that I had taken advantage of it a little bit more and been in a facility and around people who could have helped me develop my skills a little bit better instead of me kind of going off and doing it on my own. So as far as what setting you like, I would say follow what makes you the most happy. I know that that's so cliche, but whatever setting that you felt like you can really picture yourself being in for day after day, then that's probably what's going to be the best if you find that you're smiling more in a certain place. Obviously, it can be affected by your coworkers. If you have a really great CI, you might feel like that fieldwork experience was amazing and you love being in acute care. But think to yourself, if I was in a new job in a different place with different people, is this the work that I want to do? And I would really look at it that way. And also know that our career paths are really so fluid. Me, myself, I'm a millennial, and I know we get a bad rep. I don't know what your generation is, if you're considered millennial or not. But I know that we millennials get a bad rep for changing jobs. But I do feel like sometimes you have to take advantage of the career that you chose. And because we work in a field where you can work in so many different settings, it's like having multiple, multiple careers. Because working in a peds outpatient compared to an acute rehab hospital is so drastically different. And working in the psych unit compared to an outpatient hand clinic is so drastically different. So there's so many settings that we can go into within the field. And one thing I have that I'm working on is I do kind of have the grass is greener perspective. I'm always kind of looking, is there something better? Is there another field that I should be looking into? So that's actually kind of the reason I made this podcast was that I can talk to different therapists and see what it's like actually out in the field. Yeah, so I don't really have any hard and fast rules, but I would just really consider what makes you happy, what can you picture doing day in and day out when the novelty runs out? Because eventually, and I'd say even within a couple weeks, you're going to be very used to the work that you're doing. It might seem brand new and scary or exciting at the time, but you're going to get into the swing of things really quickly. I just know it. So what can you see yourself working on long term? And that's where I would start. I would also pick a place that you know can help you financially. I always thought to myself, I would love to do early intervention, but in the area that I live in, it's just not cost affordable for me. And I think I would make about like $42,000 as a new grad. Granted, that's back in 2012, but it just wasn't a sustainable number for myself knowing that I have these student loans. So you kind of have to find that balance of what you want to do and what can you afford to do. With that being said, it also really depends on the job market. So I would hop on to Glassdoor and Indeed or SchoolSpring and see what's available in your area because you might not get that big of a choice. And I don't mean that to scare you. I just mean sometimes there's only certain positions available. For me, if I want to work in the major city in my area, then there's tons of opportunities. But if I want to stay in the suburb that I'm in or, you know, approximately an hour of the suburb, then I have much more limited options. So you have to look into what's available, what's the job market, and what makes you happy and the money. But you'll do awesome. And it sounds like if you've already had this many good experiences, then no matter what you do, you're going to end up having a really good experience because I do think of a lot of it comes down to attitude. So I feel like if you've made it this far, then no matter what you do, you'll end up being happy. And the thing is, you can always switch. So if you're in a job that you really hate, it's not what you want, then just know that you can leave. 
but I would say make sure that you give whatever job you choose a really fair fighting chance because sometimes it takes, you know, even like six months to a year to really know whether or not a job is right for you. There was a job that I took that I considered quitting immediately. It was just a terrible contract. And that was a contract that I actually ended up renewing. But with my first couple days, I was like, this is not for me. But things change. So just give it a shot. All right. And I also want to say thank you to Chris, new grad OT. She wrote, great podcast. I'm a new grad and I love this podcast. I've told all my new grad friends to take a listen as well. The honesty is refreshing and I find it comforting and interesting to hear perspectives from other practitioners. All the guests have interesting career stories and I love the questions that are asked. Thanks so much for creating this. You're so welcome. Honestly, thank you so much for listening. And none of this would be possible if it weren't for the people who are willing to come on here and record with me. So a big thank you to everybody who's been willing to help me so far. I do feel like if we just collaborate and work together, we can just kind of share this information because I do think that sometimes we do kind of get stuck in a rut and we might be nervous to switch settings because we don't know enough information about it. And when we're in school, first of all, that might have been years ago, but second, we don't get to have the time to see what different settings really and truly look like. If you're on a 40-hour field work, you're not going to really get to see too much about that field. I mean, you see a window, but you don't get to see the whole picture. And I know that there were tons of settings that I never worked in, like low vision. I don't know a thing about low vision. I also am curious if there's anybody who would like to come on this podcast who works in kind of a niche field. I still need somebody to do home health. I would love somebody to do like ergonomics or maybe is an independent contractor. There are tons that I want to do. So if you are doing anything that you think might be helpful for other people to learn about, please email me at spilltheot at gmail.com. Also, I have gotten a couple complaints and I understand why, but a couple of you have emailed me that I did not put out the latest podcast on Monday. I know that I said I was going to try and do a weekly podcast and I'm going to try my best to adhere to that, but I am working full time and I'm in my brother-in-law's wedding. So there's just been a ton of wedding events that have come up and I haven't had a chance to record ahead of time. So I'm really doing this weekly. So I'm doing this Saturday. I'm hoping to release this either Sunday or Monday, but I need to get ahead of the game and next weekend I know it's going to be crazy. So I'm doing my best best. I'm so sorry that you have to wait. I do apologize. But with that being said, I can really speed the process along if I can get a good set of people who are able to commit to recording with me. It does take me a little bit of time to track everybody down and I'm not the most organized person. I'll totally admit that. So if you're listening to this and want to come on, please email me spilledot at gmail.com. All right, let's jump into learning about telehealth. Here we go. Hi, Linda. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So I have a couple questions about what you do and how you do it as far as OT in the telehealth. Mm -hmm. So just to get started, when did you graduate and what type of degree did you earn? Well, I graduated in August 2018 from Northeastern State University in Muskogee. 
and uh, it was a master's in occupational therapy. What type of field works did you do? I had uh, multiple field works. Some of them were like one week my first year, and one was like a pediatric behavioral health, and um, the third one was like in a hospital setting. Uh, but my three month rotations, one was an inpatient rehab, and then the second one was at a low vision clinic. Okay. So I'm so curious how you ended up doing telehealth. Can you share kind of the job <laughs> you've had so far? Yeah, well, uh, let's go back to my first rotation. That was in a behavioral health center in Muskogee, Oklahoma. And uh, there was a PA there online. So she was seeing patients virtually. And so it was nice to see the telehealth aspect of that in a behavioral health center. And you know, in school, they talk about Telehealth is a service model, and um, it's easy, and patients can access you anywhere, blah, 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 all that stuff. So it was nice to be able to see it in person, and it really was pretty efficient and smooth, and I feel like a lot of the patients were able to get their concerns across, and she was able to respond back to them just well. And so being in a long-distance relationship, also that was something in the back of my head, too, so I was like, hmm. If I have to go to Sweden, because that's where my husband's at, um, how can I make this work? Because at the same time, I want to be able to work, but, but not compromise, you know, my degree or whatever. So uh, I looked into it a little bit more. So I read the position paper that AOTA had published. And that was, uh, it, it sort of guided me a little bit with like definitions and stuff like that. And then I reached out to the authors. And I reached out to a few colleagues and um, I started going on Facebook and joining all these telehealth groups and contacting um, admins and stuff like that until I was able to find a few companies um, that I contacted. And I was like, hey, you know, I'm interested in, in telehealth services. And I was wondering if you guys offered anything for OT. And that's how I got into it. Wow. So have you been doing telehealth since graduation? Um, actually, no. I took a few months off after I graduated. And um, then I started working at uh, St. Francis Inpatient Rehab, which is a hospital in Muskogee, Oklahoma, uh, mid-January. And I, uh, so I work there almost about full-time hours right now. And I do telehealth part-time, which I started in December. Okay. So you're still working at your first job, but you do telehealth as mm -hmm. like an adjunct? Oh, okay. Yeah, I uh, do telehealth uh, three days a week right now. So can you just tell me everything about telehealth? I really <laughs> don't know anything about it. Yeah, um, so I'm contracted with three companies and those three companies provide services to kiddos that are in the virtual school program. So they're homeschooled and one of them does services also at a brick and mortar school. So there's um, uh, kiddos that are pulled out of class for therapy. Uh, those kiddos that are in the uh, online programs also have IEPs or 504 plans. And so they receive services from the state. And um, that's where the companies I'm contract with, contracted with provide services. Where do you want me to start? There's so many uh, ways to start here. Can you start first with how many places you're licensed in? Are you only Oklahoma? Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm actually licensed in Oklahoma, Texas, Wisconsin, and New Mexico. And the reason um, I chose Texas, New Mexico, and Wisconsin is because the companies I'm contracted with said they had services there. There's only one company I work with. They will pay for a license. The other ones I had to pay on my own because I'm a 1099. Okay. For and me, it was worth the investment because I would want to do full-time telehealth later on. So, 
So I want to like selfishly ask a million questions from Absolutely. Go for it. Okay. How do you end up getting your caseload? Okay. So um, the companies I'm contracted with are not in Oklahoma, first of all. They're somewhere on the East Coast. And um, they also provide face-to-face services. And so they have um, kids that are attending the online school. They require a face-to-face avow. And that's actually not a law in the state of Oklahoma, but that's just how the company does it. And so I was doing face-to-face avows for that company, um, for those two companies, actually. And so those kids are then referred for services. And whenever I do that avow, I can put those, uh, like, recommend in my plan of care, uh, face-to-face, OT, or online. And so whenever I recommend online services, that's whenever they go on to um, virtual services. So I get a referral, and I don't always see the kids I evaluate. There's other therapists, obviously. Um, but then I get a referral from the, the case manager or the co- coordinator, and she's like, so-and-so is going to need 30 minutes of OT once a week. Mm-hmm. And here's their information. This is the information in EdPlan, which is the um, sort of like uh, database for the school that they're attending, and it has all of the IEP information on there. Okay. Yeah. On so, average, how many of the kids that you eval do you end up recommending online services for? Actually, um, I've seen a lot of students, uh, probably more than 30, and there's maybe two or three I did not recommend virtual services. The reason is because they probably needed more hands-on or their attention span wasn't really uh, good for virtual services or maybe like... Um, they, they already need one-on-one for schooling anyway, so it didn't make sense to do therapy virtual. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the kids actually are doing their school full-time online, and they use their camera to interact with teachers, and they uh, use virtual classrooms to draw on the whiteboard, all that stuff. And so they already are familiar with their classroom setups, with talking to teachers through a camera, and so getting therapy online is not something different. So, like, they know that there's a session at this time because I arrange it with the parents, you know, they sign on, whatever. And so they know, okay, I have a session at 2 o'clock with Linda. So um, once I get the referral, that's whenever I'll contact the mom or dad and be like, hey, uh, can we set up this time? And then um, I send also sign-in information because the companies I'm contracted with are legit companies. They have an IT person. They have a case coordinator. They have a billing person, manager, director, all the titles like in any company. Um, and so the IT person actually will send me information on um, how to access the platforms. And these companies, each one of them has their own platform that they use. And obviously they're, um, they're a version that's secure for HIPAA reasons. And uh, we've been using Zoom for one of them. We've used uh, Blackboard. And the third one is Adobe Connect. Yeah. And so whenever I applied for those uh, companies, they provided training, full-on training for those platforms. One of them actually even recorded this session so that I could watch it later. Um, They were about uh, how to navigate through. And all three platforms are pretty much the same. There's a chat box. There's a camera. There's a whiteboard. I can share my, my screen. I can share a PDF or a Word file. I can share a YouTube video, so it's pretty interactive, and the kids know how to use them because they use them for school anyways, or other therapies, 
So it's not something new to them. Yeah. Was it intimidating doing the interview process and getting trained? Well, um, I'm a new grad, right? And so it's always intimidating, I guess, at the beginning. And second of all, I really didn't have much PEDS experience. And so I felt like that was an area where I did, definitely needed to grow in. So whenever I was off for a few months after I graduated, I actually took so many CEUs on pediatric stuff because I was like, okay, if I'm going to do telehealth, most of it is in the peds area. So I have to make sure I'm a little bit more confident in that. Um, from my understanding, the IEP process through a virtual school is the same exact thing as it is in person. They have a special ed teacher, a case coordinator, a transition coordinator. The parents are involved. Everyone's involved. And so whenever a kid is referred for services, they have to meet up and do an IEP meeting, right? And the IEP meeting is, is hosted online. So just like how we're talking right now through Zoom, uh, they meet through a platform and there's the PowerPoint set up there with all the uh, recommendations for testing and the consent forms and parents sign online, like on the screen. And then they go from there. So the testing is done. So they are going to refer to OT, speech, and PT or whatever. So I know when you're doing testing with a student, it's all standardized. How in the world do you do that electronically? Well, I personally haven't done any evals electronically yet. Uh, but one of the companies I'm with does electronic evaluations. And um, it's actually not impossible. The company that I'm with has a contract with the school in New, Me in New Mexico, and they have e-helpers, which are like an aide or a para on the other side. And that person can communicate to you if there's anything um, that you can't see. So for example, most of the kids uh, are referred for fine motor skills or visual motor skills, sensory issues, attention, stuff like that. And most of the time, the sensory profile is pretty self-explanatory. The parent fills it out, the teacher and you get your scores from that, right? So I don't need to even interact with a kiddo to get those scores. Um, and then the BRE VMI is pretty standard in schools as well. And that is pretty much on paper. So I can have that mailed to the school or the company mails it to the school and the e-helper could set it up for the student. And I just have to make sure I tell the e-helper, no prompting, make sure it's you know aligned right in front of them, uh, make sure the pencil sharp, stuff like that. And I'm monitoring the kiddo as they're doing their Beery VMI. Um, and I'm looking for, are they translating the pencil? Are they able to flip pages? How are they tilting their head? Are they sitting still? All those components, right? Okay. Yeah. And then they can scan that eval into the computer, um, and then I can grade it from there. Uh, I haven't done one, but when I was trained, that's how they explained it would be. Wow. That's just so incredible. And I feel like technology is here where it's all possible at this point. And obviously there's other evaluations you can do too. Um, it just depends on what the needs are and what the referral is for. But those are the two standard ones I've been doing face-to-face. -face. So I, I feel like it's possible to do it online. Don't you think? <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, as long as there's a helper, I don't see why they wouldn't be able to. Right. It's really about communication. Like if you can't see tone, obviously. But um, you can have, you know, the e-helper try to, you know, you have to tell them how much resistance do you feel? If you push all the way to, you know, how, how much do you feel? So you just have to make sure you communicate to a way they're understanding at the same time you're getting your information. So you mentioned that you were hoping to do this full time. How yes. quickly or how difficult or easy is it to build your caseload? Well, um, I started 
seeing patients, or I should say, I should say students, <laughs> uh, through the companies I'm with earlier this year, right? So it's been what, almost three months. I actually am seeing maybe like 15 kids right now. And, and those have been built throughout uh, the past few, few months. So I didn't start day one with this caseload. I started with one actually. And um, they send a referral, hey, would you be interested in picking up this kiddo? Sure. And that's how I build up. And actually next week, I'm going to start seeing kids in a school in New Mexico because I got training through one of the companies and the therapist there isn't going to be um, delivering services anymore. And he used to do it virtually as well. So they're like, hey, there's an opening in New Mexico. You're already licensed there. Would you mind uh, picking up the services for the rest of the school year? And I said, sure. Yeah. So it's nice. The fact that for even clinicians, you get some fluidity within a company, just like you would if you're working in you know, a, a real face-to-face company. And do you yeah. see most people once times 30 a week? Mo- most of the referrals are that way. I do have kids that I see twice a week. I have kids that I see once for an hour. I have kids that I see uh, twice a month. It just depends. And uh, most of the sessions are, I'd say, about 30 minutes. But based on my training with the companies, um, just like a face-to-face interaction would be, you see the kiddo and then you document and you bill for it. And it's the same process. Um, they have Excel sheets already made for me. So uh, they're pretty much organized to where it deducts the amount of minutes or hours because for an IEP, they get a certain amount of minutes, right? And a certain amount of hours for the service. And so I put in the data service, what we did uh, in a note. So it could be in a soap note or just things you want to talk about. And then um, I choose options like if it's a regular service or is it a makeup session or is it a no-show or billable cancellation and then um, I email it to the company they have um, a certain email for their billing. So how do you end up doing your scheduling? Do you do it back to back? Do you give yourself some space in between students? Um, I like space and I like to plan and organize. So whenever I first started, uh, it was one student, and that was really helpful because I was really planning around that session and making sure I got all my things organized because it's a new field, and, it, and it's, um, you really have to be on top of it because there's a lot more communication. You have to communicate with the parents, the student, sometimes the teacher, the company. So the first thing I did, actually, was I made my personal work email because I was getting bombarded into my personal email. Um, and it just keeps me more organized that way. And from there, I got a huge binder with a um, whole bunch of resources I found online. That way I have easy access to stuff. And I made folders with a whole bunch of PDFs or activities uh, that we can work on. So one specific for cutting, one for fine motor, one for visual motor, etc. And I have a schedule and uh, it's divided by 30 minutes. That way I can, um, you know, fill it up as we go throughout the week. And so now I see uh, a kiddo and I like to have a 15 minute break or a 30 minute break. And then I see the next, that way I have time to document right after I'm done. Okay. Do you get reimbursed for your doc time? No, you don't. Uh, you get paid per hour, but um, I do get paid if there was a, there was a no show or or cancellation within a certain amount of hours. Um, and I do get no shows. It happens online too. Oh, and yeah. you paid the full amount? 
No, you get paid for 15 minutes or you can bill for 15 minutes. I try to do my, it's basically per billable hour. That's how you get paid. I do my part and I email parents or text them the day before be like, Hey, let's remind our sessions tomorrow at three o'clock because we have to make up our time or at least try to. So that way I know if to expect something. Obviously if they know show because they were sick or parents forgot and it's towards the end of the week, there's not much to do there, but I do see kids on Sunday. I'm, I'm free on Sunday. So I try to make, do my makeup sessions then or for families that are busy during the week. That makes sense. Since they're in a virtual school, they kind of have that flexibility. Yes, yes, they do. So essentially all of your treatments are like a pull-out session. You would never try and collaborate with a teacher to push in in any sort of way? Honestly, with the virtual programs, I haven't had much interaction with teachers. But I'm expecting the school in New Mexico, because it's a brick-and-mortar school and they're pulled out of class, they actually um, recommend two 30-minute sessions a month with each teacher for collaboration. That's, that's about an hour a month. You don't get that a lot face-to-face. No. Especially, I feel like if you're doing everything online, you must be able to be more efficient because you're not having to yeah. run classroom to classroom. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like most of your appointments start and end on time? Yeah, absolutely. Rarely is it five minutes someone's late, but pretty much they're on time. Some of the parents are awesome. They're really hands-on and they make sure things are written in a schedule. So um, you have that aspect. And then there's sometimes where, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. And then I have to reschedule three more times before I see the kid. But that's just the nature of it. Yeah. Yeah. So can you tell me what a typical treatment session might look like? Yeah. So um, usually before the session, I like to plan on Sundays because that's usually my day off. Uh, I'll read their goals and see what we're going to work on for the week. And based on that, I'll email the parent, uh, hey, uh, these are the supplies we're going to need for next week. We're going to focus on this. And then I'll try to to maybe put a picture of what we're going to work if it's like some kind of craft project or fine motor activity. Um, and then, uh, I usually have a home exercise program and it's based on the goals and the skills that we're learning in the session. And I like to just recommend for parents, Hey, these are activities. If they have downtime or if they're, they're interested in one of these, whatever they can do is great. And I email that on Sunday. That way I have my uh, plan for the session. And so, uh, just like any session you plan, but you, you might be surprised what's going to happen <laughs> or, you know, your plans might change. So I start the session, they log in, I log in and, um, they, they actually have their computer sent out from the school. So they have a camera that's uh, adjustable so they can tilt it up and down and move it. So, um, it's more flexible. So if I want to see something on the table, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, they, I ask them, you know, how are they doing or if they're, they're, uh, smiling or upset or you can tell from their face. So that's a good part of telehealth. Right. And I always try to comment about something so that they, they can see that I'm looking at them or I'm paying attention. So I might comment about their shirt. I might comment about something in the background, something that way they, you know, we can start a conversation. From there, then I'm like, okay, then we really need to make sure we target this and that and we do whatever we can um, in those 30 minutes, whether it's warm-ups, whether it's body uh, movements to get some self-regulation. We do handwriting. I have, most of my goals are on letter formation, so there's a lot of handwriting involved. Um, I look at wrist extension, you know, their grasp is, all that stuff. And, you know, a lot of times you can tell they start shaking their hand 
or after you know uh, writing a few words their pencils down and they start flexing their fingers so you need to pick up on those things because that's going to tell you okay they're having um, hand strengthening issues or they're tired stuff like that what would you do if you noticed that somebody required a slant board or something that you just wanted mm -hmm. to trial how would you go about putting that into well um i do have a kid actually that's having difficulty with handwriting and um i i'm trying to promote some wrist extension recommended using a three inch binder so whatever they have at home first because i don't want to go through you know ordering something and if there's something that's at home and that's easy he's going to use it every day why not right yeah um, and so we try that if that didn't work then i tell the school or the company each each company has their own policy they can ship over any equipment that i recommend so like for example theraputty or if there's a bouncy ball that i need they can send that over to them cool yeah and how old or i guess what's your general population look like uh, my youngest right now is six and the oldest I would say is 13. Yeah. Do you ever get pushback from parents? Um, it's a different type of pushback. I have a parent that is a little bit more strict on the type of activities that we do and I understand each parent has their own way of doing things or they're worried you know their carpet's going to get dirty or something so I had a mom that does not want to use play-doh in the sessions and I understand that's fine and I've tried to you know hey how about we put a trash bag under under her hands or like on the desk no I'm not gonna use play-doh okay that's fine um, what about their putty she's like is it like slowly putty I'm like yeah it's pretty much the same thing and so she was more open to it because I showed her in a picture and I really try to emphasize the skill I'm like these are the skills we're trying to work on it's it's not so much the activity i really like working with play-doh especially for a six-year-old you know they they get creative it's a little bit soft on their hands not as much resistance as their putty is um, but otherwise I, I printing issues maybe like uh oh the printer didn't work i couldn't print out the worksheets that you asked for yeah but that, that's nothing major so it is kind of nice that parents get to see exactly what you're doing i think sometimes that's lost in the typical school system yeah it's not always though no yeah like a lot of the kids just sign in and their moms or, or dad is in the kitchen or in the living room they're actually not right next to them the whole time but i do my part and i try to talk to the parents the last two or three minutes just to recap and let them know what we worked on so would you have the student go and grab their parent and then come talk mm -hmm. to them? yeah yeah that's so cool all right and can you tell me like ot is so movement based how do you incorporate movement into what you're doing like how do you model it so it depends on the goal and sometimes you can incorporate so many skills in a body movement right so for example self-regulation if i want to work on attention span or just having them regulated for the beginning of class some of them are pretty hyper uh, and can't really sit still because they have fidgeting issues or whatever a lot of the animal walks work great and so I'm like okay we're gonna do the animal walks and we're gonna act like a crab and I get down on the floor and I do crab walks or I do um, monkey jumps whatever it is and um, they're doing it too so they move their chair and I'm watching them as well we incorporate body movements like that we do uh, push-ups too to get some strength in their hands I don't know there's there's a lot of things that is body movement and I can still see them do it just fine so how do you set up your space like where do you put your cameras and what does your area look like 
I have a laptop. I, I haven't really uh, developed a real area. It's, I'm in the process of developing my own space, but um, I just have a, a room. It has some space in it so I can get on the floor and move around as much as I want to. I have a laptop and I always keep a notebook or something to jot notes on. I mean, that's pretty much it. So would you recommend doing telehealth to maybe like another new grad or somebody who's looking for a change? I would. And honestly, I was scared at the beginning. And uh, honestly, the companies are great. I asked, can I attend a live session with a therapist? And they absolutely agreed to it. And I saw three therapists. So it was nice to see how they do it. And, and once I saw it the first time, I was like, ah, okay, this makes sense. So like, for example, um, we, we, she was working on letter formation and she was working with a kiddo where the mom was super involved. She taped the floor with like the letter B and the kiddo had to walk on letter B to form the right, uh, you know, movements with the letter. So, so yeah, that was a great way to incorporate letter formation and body movement. Yeah, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. So you just have to think outside the box. Pinterest is going to be your best friend. Do the platforms that you work on have any activities built into them? Uh, They have like a poll option. They have a drawing option. And there's PDFs you can pull up. So if I need to do connect the dots or something like that or visual scanning, I can upload a document, but there isn't like a, an activity per se, like a game or something. So what do you think the downsides of doing this are? The downside for me is, uh, I don't know. If, well, okay. In general, I think the downside would be communication because sometimes uh, parents don't respond as quickly to emails or uh, you might text someone and they don't respond back to you. So I feel like you need to make sure you do that extra step in communication uh, so that everyone's on the same page and that everyone's understanding what you're doing too, because you're sort of solo, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah. you said you're a 1099 employee? Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you speak to the finance piece a little bit? Yeah, sure. So as a 1099, and this is new to me because I've always worked with a W-2 and uh, 1099 means you have to pay your own taxes and you're responsible for your own benefits and stuff like that. So uh, I get paid pretty well. I was pretty impressed actually with the rate uh, for virtual services. I'm not gonna say the names of the companies I'm with just so that um, no one goes after them like, hey, she said you, she makes this much an hour. Uh, but I get paid between 40 to 60 an hour with those three companies. Oh, wow. That's yeah. a lot more than I was expecting. Yes. I did actually, so I did five interviews with five different companies and I got hired with three. One of the companies offered 35 and the other one offered 40 something. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah it's great. Um, I am responsible for like the assessments I do when I see face-to-face kids. So I have to pay for like the BRE-VMI and the sensory profile because I'm self-employed basically. Okay. Um, but, but you can probably write those things off, I'm assuming. Yes, uh huh, I can. From my understanding, you can write off like the space that their office space and the Wi Fi and the phone stuff that you use for your business. Yeah, there's a lot of benefits, in my opinion. I mean, especially in Oklahoma, there's a lot of rural areas. A lot of the kids that I see are two hours away or an hour away from the main uh, areas where there's a lot of you know, interaction in the town. So 
being able to deliver services to students so they can access all what they need in their home is is awesome. And in my opinion, I mean, you're just breaking all the geographic barriers, socioeconomic barriers. Even a lot of parents say they don't have enough gas money or whatever. That's all gone because they have a computer and they have Wi-Fi for school anyways. And so that they're just using what they have to get the services they need. And then another thing is that you don't have to travel a lot as a, as a school therapist. You don't have to go to so many different schools or different um, classes to be seeing students. You can do it back to back or whenever the student signs on without having to move from your spot. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then I also feel like it would be really good for supervision. So if there's a CODA or if there was a student that was interested in telehealth or something, it would be great to see how, um, how, how they're working with a student and you can just supervise virtually. So in the school, at least the first three years that you work in one in the state that I live in, you have to have observations. And sometimes it's so challenging to have somebody come and observe you because the student's so distracted. So I Mm -hmm. feel like this would be such a good way to get those observations in that's like really covert and no one would, you know, no one would notice. They can clip the camera onto the desk and you can watch what the student does. And then another thing, you could be a referral source too. So obviously, um, telehealth is great, but it's not for everybody. And so uh, if I have a student that I'm working with where I feel, you know what, it's not working, they're going to need a little bit more hands-on or their attention span doesn't allow them to interact very well on a camera, then definitely I would recommend them to a therapist where they could see where they could get face-to-face services, or I can refer them to a special, like, hey, this might be a little bit more behavioral. So we need to refer out to someone that's more specialized in this area. Um, just to recap, so you get paid per hour for the time that you're spent with the student. Right. Not right. for documentation. Not for documentation, but I do get paid for IEP meetings. So if I'm attending an IEP meeting, um, I get paid for that, and it's my same hourly pay. And if I'm going to do collaborations with teachers or whoever, I also get paid for that time. Um, but yeah, if I, my prep time, my email time, like I'm doing this whole exercise program and emailing it to the parents, that doesn't count either. Um, but you get paid pretty well per hour. So that compensates for the time you're working on other things. Yeah. And at least for me, I'm already traveling. My job's mm-hmm. not too far, but it's about 50 minutes each way. So that's yeah. all time. That's work time, technically. Absolutely. So, and I like that you can start off really small. I kind of picture yes. you jump into like you know four or five students, but one seems very manageable, and then to build up from there. Well, do you have any advice or anything else you'd like to say to anyone who might be listening? No, well, it's just that I'm a new grad, so like getting advice from new grad. Oh, <laughs> hey, That's, you have a lot to yeah. offer. So many people yeah. have never done this, so it's cool. You're well. Thank you. Well, uh, my advice really is if you're interested, go look for it. And there's so many resources online, so many groups on Facebook that are interactive based on um, their experiences with telehealth. And I feel like it's a growing area. We definitely need to have some um, more OTs involved in this because we need to advocate for ourselves. And I feel like being able to provide services for people that would, would never have the access to it is is definitely important so and i ask this question to everybody i'm assuming since you just graduated i know the answer but if you could do it all again would you go into ot absolutely awesome <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right thank you so much for coming on here 
Absolutely. Thank you. It was great talking to you. All right. That's all, folks. Thanks for tuning in. And like I mentioned, I'm going to try and record another video for next Monday, but I will need your help because I don't have anybody lined up yet. So it'll kind of depend on who's available and when you're available because I'll be gone all next weekend. So it would have to be sometime during the next five days. Uh, please rate and review this podcast if you are feeling generous on iTunes or any other platform that you listen to. And if you have any questions or want to get in touch with me, spill the ot at gmail.com and you can follow me on instagram at spill underscore the underscore ot and i'll talk to you later bye